Welcome to episode 71 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I am struggling but getting my year started with student two different schools and on the side I also kept one of my um, private clients because I needed a break in my day from all of my high school students so I still have one little guy that I'm working with and that's younger and so I found this um, article that was ways to engage a preschool student during speech and language teletherapy. It is from the website TLC Talk and the SLP that is Tamitha runs that. And it was a great article. Um, She talks about uh, incorporating music. So using silly songs to help with auditory bombardment, um, help with teaching new language concepts, and just making that really exciting for kids. Uh, She also talks about using picture books. She has some pros and cons to using the actual book versus an on-screen book. So she talks about how if you are, you know, kind of holding up a book to the screen, then you can slow that rate down and pause to ask questions and draw students' attention to the um, vocabulary. But you do have the downside of they can't really point to the pictures to show you their receptive understanding of things. Um, and that if you have uh, it online, then you can sometimes do some of those things. So she also suggests has some websites that she links to where uh, they have YouTube online read-alongs and things like epic books that will read the books to the kids and that you can just kind of follow along with them in teletherapy. Um, She talks about engaging with interactive green screens. Of course, we are big fans of GoGo Speech on this podcast and the things they're doing there with green screen activities. And then she shares some others that there's a green screen speech therapy Facebook group online that's run by PlaySpark and that you can kind of do some dramatic play and thematic units with green screens too. So those are some great ideas. Uh, she also talks about screen sharing favorite apps If on the, your iPad. One of my favorite ones um, that I haven't used a lot in therapy, but I've used it with my own kids when I'm playing with them. And I can see in it, I'm like, sometimes I'm almost like, I think an SLP created this because I see so many language opportunities in it. And that is the Play Home or My Play Home. And it's just kind of a dollhouse type of app, but there's lots of different things you can do. You can add different community sites too and go in and you know have the kids make an ice cream cone and follow directions and talk about language things too so that's a favorite um and then she talks about puppets are always fun to use um that's something that has really engaged kids that i've seen too and then talks about online games and boom cards, which is what we've done a lot of too. So some of her favorites are things like PBS Kids, NickJr.com, um, SesameStreet.org, and those boom cards that we've been using too. So some new fun ideas, I thought, and some uh, good tips for anyone that's kind of getting started in uh, working with kids that are littler and trying to keep them engaged over um, telepractice. Those are great suggestions, great ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. 
So yeah, that's wonderful. Is she, uh, so she has a, her own practice. Is that right? Um, I think she, uh, works. I think she's got a blog and she works in a couple different settings. Um, but yeah, we should see if she wants to come on and talk to some more about the things that she's been doing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Get her on. Yep. We've all had practice now being kind of, um, the blue clues guy, Steve. <laughs> Being Steve. Being Steve. Yep. Yeah. The, the the poor guy that followed Steve. No one liked him. And I know. I, I know. know Steve was such a special guy. And he has a you know little little um, recent thing he did. Yep. Yep. Was, I've yeah, seen lots good. of lots of memes lately about us millennials crying because Steve says you're doing a great job. <laughs> I may right. have shed a tear watching it. <laughs> Oh, Steve, he'll always be a special friend. Yep. (laughs) Well, speaking of special friends, we have on the podcast today some friends from the University of Maine in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders. We have Dr. Judy Walker and Mary Beth Richards. And Judy Walker is is a friend and colleague, and she's uh, set up a program there to train her grad students in speech language pathology to do telepractice. And Mary Beth is a clinical instructor, clinical supervisor working with her. And it's, I'm just really looking forward to hearing them talk about that program, how they got started, and how they're training those students. Because obviously, we need to get more and more graduate programs training the grad students mm-hmm. about telepractice service delivery. And They've been at the forefront of this for a long time. So we'll welcome them to the podcast. Great. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and I'll reach out and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. So welcome to the podcast, Judy and Mary Beth. Would you Share more about your background. Okay, Mary Beth, would you like to go first? Okay. Um, Well, I'm Mary Beth Richards. I am a speech-language pathologist for over 30-some years. Um, And I've been at the University of Maine for the past seven in working as a clinical supervisor in the telepractice training program in our graduate uh, school 
Um, let's see. I'm originally from Wisconsin, went to Marquette University, got my degrees there. And um, I actually married to a broadcaster. So we've been a little nomadic and landed oh, in Maine right. about 25 years ago. So awesome. Welcome. Um, thank you. And uh, I'm Judy Walker, and I am a professor and the coordinator of the speech therapy telepractice training program at University of Maine. I have a, a pretty uh, colored background in that I have also been pretty <laughs> nomadic, uh, traveling to many different places, working in several different medical settings, uh, and also di different academic institutions where I've obtained my different degrees. I've been at University of Maine now for 23 years, and we started the telepractice program in 2012. You started right as I was sort of starting at Akron. I mean, and starting the telepractice stuff at Akron. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I've I've been fairly nomadic, although I'm trying to uh, stay one step ahead of the FBI. So hopefully that will continue to be the case. Oh, you're in Ohio though. For licensure there, they have a file open. I probably do have a file open. <laughs> they they fingerprinted me when I got my license there at one point. Oh, oh, so they're 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 tracking you as well, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> I know. So so let's let's go back to 2012 a little bit in terms of how telepractice sort of came to to the University of Maine. And so, Judy, were you involved in telepractice before that? Not at all. Uh, okay. In fact, my, my research line was very much experimental research with folks with aphasia. But I am a clinician as well. I wear multiple hats in addition to teaching. And so I was the department chair for five years. And during that time, I received, oh, just a... a phone calls and uh, just expressing concern over the shortage of speech pathologists in the state. I mean, geographically is a very, very large state. Our population is very spread out and we don't have sufficient uh, uh, speech language pathologists to meet the needs. So I started trying to think of how we could be more creative in expanding our reach. And it just so happened that a colleague of mine, uh, Michael Tui, who is a real pioneer in telepractice, he's at Waldo County General Hospital in, in Belfast, Maine, was giving a presentation literally right uh, in the building next door to my office on telepractice. And so I went to see him and the two of us started putting our heads together and um, decided that a training program would be, uh, would be a real positive addition uh, to our graduate program at University of Maine. So we kind of join forces and there we have it. The rest is history. Yeah? That's, that's the great. rest is history, as they say. So is it a separate track that students go through or an additional endorsement that they get? Or how is it, how is it set up? It, in our graduate program, we have five uh, clinical practicum rotations and Telepractice is an opportunity for those students that want to advance that skill set uh, to actually participate in a practicum rotation. It's a semester long practicum rotation. So it's part of our clinical uh, training program. We've got on site speech services, audiology, and then we have telepractice training as well. And how many students do you 
typically go through the the telepractice training? Well, uh, in any one year, we can have, I'm just trying to think here, Mary Beth can probably jump in, um, 10 to 12 students, I'm thinking. Yeah. Keeping in mind, keeping in mind that our telepractice, pro, that our graduate program is relatively small compared to many programs. So we have currently in our second year, uh, 16 students. In our first year, we have uh, 18, I believe. Yeah. That was similar to the one I went through. I think we had 14 mm. in my cohort. But our pro, but we, but it's only second year graduate students that have an opportunity to rotate through the telepractice program. So they have a year of experience under their belt, so to speak. Correct. We want to make sure that they've got uh, a very good understanding of in service. Uh, uh, in-person service delivery uh, and that whole model before we actually teach them the telepractice model. Yeah. So and, what are the, sorry, what are oh, the um, differences or uh, things, different skill sets that you um, find students need in doing telepractice or is it similar to if they're doing in-person? Okay. Well, Mary Beth. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, um, you know, in person, they, you know, they've got that that basic stimulus response, and they know they have to find the materials. And I think what a lot of our students are finding, especially is that that presentation, you know, they've got to have some camera presence. And, Mm -hmm. um, and realize that this is the 2d versus 3d. So how to use those e tools, Mm -hmm. how, you know, how to make best use of their screen time, and then just prepping materials. Um, they're finding that's that's a whole new world all of a sudden that they can either make it really, really functional or really, really interesting to the kiddos as I, 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 the pediatric side of um, our program. So I ha- we have a, um, we have a public school contract in both a elementary school and a high school in Western Maine. And so just that whole being able to realize, gee, gosh, I can, I feel like I'm sitting right next to this person, even though we're miles away has been a real different, it has been a different skill set for all of them, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and Mary Beth, just before we get too far ahead, did you have telepractice experience before coming to Maine? How did you get sort of involved in this whole area? Yeah, well, it was one of those, you know how how lives are, and you kind of uh, transition between positions. Oh yes. <laughs> In a previous life, um, yes, actually, we had a grant through. Uh, I want to say it was a Beacon Healthcare, doing a little bit of telepractice um, in with over pots, plain old telephone lines. You remember those? <laughs> the, the, the yes. Old yes. <laughs> the screen was maybe what six inches in diameter. And you could barely see the person, but because again, Maine is so rural, um, one of the home health agencies that my agency had a contract with had gotten this grant and they asked us, they were using it for nursing to t- kind of monitor blood pressure and, and blood sugars and things with, and, and weight and, and mm-hmm. CHF with their patients. Um, they asked if we'd kind of like to be a part of it because they were getting so many referrals Oh gosh, about an hour. We are, you know, we're kind of in that Bangor metro area. Even the university is considered Bangor, Bangor metro, which is a whopping, what, 150,000 people in 13 towns. 
but um, you know, about an hour away, there's another kind of, uh, well, it used to be a big mill town, but now it's much smaller. And, and a lot of older folks live up there with limited transportation and limited services. So we were, they were getting a ton of referrals up that direction and, and they had asked us to help out with that. So that is sort of how I got started. And um, gosh, what I was doing a little bit of adjunct faculty at that time. And Dr. Walker needed a, a, a sidekick part-time and asked me if I'd mm-hmm. come along. So here we are. That's great. So the, so Mary Beth, you handle the peds side of things. And, and Judy, you handle the adults. Right. Yeah. And so what we what's what's different about working with adults through telepractice than in person? Hmm. Well, I think probably and I'm going to piggyback a little bit off what Mary Beth said. I think um, one of the one of the, the beautiful things about telepractice is the unlimited access uh, to uh, to being able to, to develop stimuli that are incredibly meaningful to our uh, to our clients and telepractice and allows us with our adults to actually provide services in the place where they live and their communities uh, and so subsequently. The differences or what telepractice allows us to do is really capitalize on the strengths of the internet to really explore their world. So we use with our uh, folks with aphasia, for instance, we use a live participation approach to aphasia. Our program is perfectly suited for that approach because our folks tend to be uh, chronic. Many of them uh, are um, several months, if not years, uh, post-onset stroke. And subsequently, they're very well aware of the issues that are going on in their world. So we're able to to access uh, their world through the internet uh, so that we can develop custom-based activities that really target the language of their world. So for instance, if there's restaurants that they frequent, we go right to the websites and we really explore those websites uh, to develop materials that are appropriate that they'll be using. Uh, in terms of their language in those situations. And we'll even provide, um, use the house. You know, we've done many a cooking activity in their kitchen with them. (laughs) Right, right. So so it does allow us, there's no worry, you know, as much about, we're not in sort of in-person, you tend to be in more of a sterile environment with the hope that that whatever you're teaching them is going to generalize out into the real world, we're out in the real world. Virtu- well, virtually, we're out in the real world. Well, you, you had shared the activity that I saw in the video of using Google Maps because the patient mm-hmm. wanted to go from their uh, from her home to uh, a restaurant down the street. And you just kind of walked her through the whole process in terms of walking out to her street and as if she was driving there. And it was, uh, that was, I have to say a really cool application of Google (laughs) maps, but, but, you know, as it's extremely functional, it was very, very functional for her. And so it was really a cool thing to, to see. Mm -hmm. And, and again, because we can access, you know, easily, literally at our fingertips, we can access those kinds of, uh, either geo browsers, websites, uh, you know, and, and and so on. 
it, it's perfect for providing supports, you know, to, to our patients. Uh, and it really is fun because it's meaningful to our patients, you know, as opposed to, to perhaps using more artificial type materials that may not be unique to them. So, um, so it's really provided me uh, as a lifelong clinician as well, an opportunity to really explore and really push the limits of, of therapy in a very, very meaningful way. And our folks are really benefiting from it and they're enjoying their, their time with us. So, so it's working. I love that idea that I think so many people view um, telepractice as kind of like a barrier or a separation between me and my client, but how you're talking Mm -hmm. about it, you're saying I'm going into their world even more than I would have been if they had come into an outpatient clinic. And I love that idea and that thought. um, I have some almost adults because I work in a high school. So I've tried some of those things too, where I'm like, okay, we're going to get on you need to remember to do your homework. We're going to get on and show you how to add an event to your Google calendar (laughs) and just being able to like pull that up and do it right there. I think is so nice too, instead of even like, even if you were in person, but like, where's your computer? Let's go get your computer and show you how to do it. And things like that. I do think that it just, um, makes it so much more seamless to just be like, well, I have the whole internet at my disposal to help you. Right. It's, and it's, it's not uncommon for us to say, oh, that we're talking about a place. Oh, well, why don't we just go there? And we do. Uh, and then we're able to virtually explore the space. I mean, it's just fa- it's just fabulous. I, I mean, it really is. The experience is very different uh, than just, you know, than just talking about it. Yeah. Mirabeth, were you going to say something? No, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's like instantaneous, as you were saying, Kim, in the high school where we are too, that, um, you know, if we're going to go down, the kids uh, do a lot of, in the life skills class, do a lot of community outings. Well, we haven't been able to do those with the pandemic. We can still do them in speech yep. and on the yep. internet. Absolutely. So we can head down to the food cupboard and stop at the library and head on to the grocery store and make our grocery list at least of what they would need once they get there. So yeah, it is, it, it's really super relevant and it keeps them thinking and, and we've been able to do a lot of problem solving and executive functioning stuff and, and still expand their world because, you know, we're doing speech and yes, we're working on this, but sometimes, especially um, in our high school and middle, or in our in our our public school setting, it is a lower social economic area, and the the kids are a little limited. They don't always have the internet at home either, or the supports of electronics to beyond you know Minecraft. Um, but <laughs> that you know to realize what's going on even in our own little state. You know, we look at hiking trails nearby their their school or the river that goes right past their school. They didn't know that it was part of a bigger river that went to this town or through this town or out to the ocean. It's all about being functional, isn't it? It's about connecting, but also keeping it very functional, you know, for kids and for adults. Oh, yeah. And Todd, I'm going to just jump on the word connection because Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that was so important to me uh, as I was getting started was to figure out a way how to connect 
our folks. Uh, and again, I'll just go back to our aphasia group. We see a lot of different types of, um, uh, of adults, but um, to connect them because they were so isolated. They're already isolated with their aphasia and then they were geographically isolated. And this is well before COVID. And so uh, it was very neat for me. And we did a little research on looking at the power of telepractice to be able to improve friendships and reduce social, social isolation uh, in people with aphasia by bringing them together. And, and now mm-hmm. everybody's in groups, uh, in virtual groups, but we were doing it way back in the day, long before people were doing this. And so we never missed a beat, actually. During the lockdown, we never missed a beat. In fact, our group members said, oh, now the rest of the world's catching up to us. Uh, and I just kind of chuckled. And all those folks that started back several years ago together still are together. We're still meeting. They're still friends and really do consider um, the folks in, in our uh, communication group as part of their family. And it's pretty neat to see. Yeah. That is really cool. You know, one of the things, sort of common themes, even in my area of of hearing loss in kids and and working with those families and those children, there is this sort of um, heavy topic or or you know popular topic right now of you know these kids being more and more socially isolated. And uh, in fact, I was talking to a, a colleague not too long ago, and he was saying. You know, he's he's not as concerned about how the kids are communicating anymore. I am, but but he's more concerned about the social isolation. And so and so it's just you know, it's a little fascinating for me to, you know, across disabilities, across different diagnoses, that potential for social isolation is there. And telepractice can be a you know, one solution to mitigate that. Yes. True. I know even like in the last year and a half of the school year, we had kids who we knew faithfully we would see them one, you know, at least once a week. And we even had a few kids who their internet wasn't quite strong enough to carry the video, but we at least had Mm -hmm. audio and he was a regular Mm -hmm. and he's back in school this year. And, you know, the first thing he's did, he did was give me a great big smile and said, see, I couldn't see you, but I'm so glad to see mm-hmm. you today. <laughs> right, right. So I'm like, yeah, let me guess. And I could tell he like, you know, he, he grew six inches while I'm like, you grew six <laughs> inches while I couldn't right. see you, didn't you? He's like, yeah, mom said I did. I don't know. That's what I just started my high school and I was like, oh, Hall, your guys' voice changed over the summer. <laughs> when they came uh-huh. back. And it, it, back, you're like, oh my gosh. No, I know that's, I do love, um, you know, being able to see my same students from year to year and getting that mm-hmm. um, continuity of services too, which I think sometimes they are lacking from places that are remote and they have, you know, a new SLP who just stayed one year every year. That's the same mm-hmm. story. So I think it mitigates that some too. True. Mm-hmm. We've been with our school now for six years. Right. So we, you know, we were laughingly saying we've known, in fact, this young man known since first grade. I'm like, yeah, it, we're getting ready. You're, you're going to get close. I think we're getting, this is our year, maybe to graduate from speech. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know, well, I think, know. Uh, Kim, you, you were mentioning, I think before some time ago, but you know, that sometimes it was the telepractitioner, the SLP who was, 
in the most contact with some of these families right. and some of these children right. during especially, the pandemic. Yes, especially last year, I had kids that were doing right. all asynchronous type of learning in every aspect mm-hmm. of school, except for with me. So I was kind of the one time <clears throat> that they were connecting with a person to figure out mm-hmm. how to do school in general. And it was, it was rough mm-hmm. and it kind of put... I, more on my plate than I could ever do in my half an hour once a week. So I think that yeah. was another thing that needed to be considered of how do we connect these kids that are doing at-home learning with a person to help them? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and we're seeing that. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Kim. I mean, in some cases, especially, I don't know about you, but our junior high kids, I right. think, struggled the mm-hmm. most. More than the high schoolers. Yep. The high schoolers kind of had that independence. They could do it yep. and whatever. But junior high kids, I saw a lot of mental health issues. I, yep. I had the, I had my social worker at school on speed dial. I felt like, I'm like, would you check in with so-and-so maybe to see how they're doing? I'm a little worried. Right. They seemed really down. They, yeah, unfocused. It, it, yeah, it broke my heart a lot of times. You know, and you're like, yeah, see, this is, you know, the, I mother too much, right? But that's our job, right? <laughs> and, and you know, I had a lot of these moms on email too, where I'm like, gosh, I was meeting with so-and-so today and they just didn't see themselves. You, you're seeing the same thing. And, you know, it was good to be able to have some of those connections that way, but it's still not the same. Yeah. Right. But right. they are happier back in school. Yep. Yep. I think so too. Very true. And, and so where do you guys go from here? What do you hope? to go with the telepractice training uh, aspect uh, at the University of Maine? Is it is it going to continue to grow and endure? Uh, what do you think? Well, I think at this point, we're having um, some uh, staffing issues within our department. And so the growth is contingent upon the administration and the support that the department overall will have. Uh, telepractice, you know, while it it definitely should be part of every training, every single graduate program in the country, for sure, because it's Mm going to be the wave of the future, is really dependent upon many different uh, supports, including resources to be able to to train students and provide those services. So I think, I I guess the short answer, Todd, is we don't know. (laughs) That's the short answer. (laughs) Um, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, the dream, of course, is to expand the program, but uh, I think a lot of administrations, I don't think it's unique to UMaine, uh, are struggling with budget shortfalls. COVID took, you know, took a lot out of people's budgets. So, right. so we'll, you know, we'll have to, to, to see. But in the meantime, you know, we're, we're continuing on. We didn't mention we do have a contract with an international school in Fiji as well. Wow. Uh, okay. yeah. and so, so that's been a, an incredibly wonderful, culturally diverse experience for our graduate students and also for uh, our Fiji partners. And We've kind of lived through COVID with them too. Um, yeah. They're struggling over there as well. And uh, uh, we've really grown so fond of them. Mary Beth and I are still trying to get a, get a grant funded to go visit in person. But today, I guess with COVID, that probably <laughs> is off. It's off our plate at this point. <laughs> well, well, if you, you know, Kim and I will be glad to go with you <laughs> and, and help help do some program evaluation and training right? and whatever you need, yes. whatever you need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we want to just do a site visit. I'll, I'll need a big hat and lots of sunblock, but I, I can make it happen. 
And you know, like in, I, I just recently moved to a very hot area of Utah. So when I am done with the heat, maybe I'll come visit you guys in Maine. <laughs> if you need any yeah. help getting that program, keep going and things, but it sounds like you guys are doing great things there. This might be a little bit of like, I don't know, pre, pre preaching to the choir with the people that listen to this podcast, but how do we get graduate programs? Um, to be interested more in having a telepractice component and realize that people, everyone going out into the workforce needs that training right now? Well, that's a great question, Kim, <laughs> because Todd, Todd and I have talked about this quite a bit about how slow to adopt telepractice mm -hmm. has been. COVID helped mm -hmm. give adoption uh, a quick kind of uh, kick in the pants, right. I guess. Um, but, street but, bread, right? but programs, you know, programs are still struggling to figure out how they're going to fit it, fit it into their curriculum. And also there's the, the secondary issue of training. So you've got to have faculty that are going to be, that are trained in telepractice to know how to mm -hmm. teach students. So it, it, it's challenging because it's such a multifaceted problem yeah. uh, or issue in terms of just trying to get, I mean, when I think about uh, developing this program that we've got today, going all the way back to 2012, we started off small, very small. And then through a series of grants uh, and infusion of money, we got a nice gift as well. We've been able to expand. And so, again, as programs are evaluating their resources, um, they've got to think, OK, where, you know, where's the support going to come from? And I think it, I think it's tricky. So I don't, I don't have an easy answer. I don't know if Todd and Mary about to for this one, but it's tough. <clears throat> well, I, I think um, one thing that I'm, I'm recognizing, I think it's true what you're saying, Judy, that I think a lot of departments need, need to have at least one faculty member who's interested, you know, and, and be that champion. Um, and, and then be, Beyond that, what I see happening right now, yes, COVID did give it that kick in the pants, but I think a lot of places are still viewing it almost like, how do we train in another disorder? Right. Yes. And so it's like, we need to get some you know students who are trained to do child speech and adult language, and oh, we need to also get them to some experience in telepractice rather than integrating telepractice into mm -hmm. all of the different disorders saying, okay, if you're in person, this is what you would do. If you're connecting online, this is how you do the same thing. Uh, and so they still see it as a separate thing off to the side. Let's, you know, instead of really integrating it into the curriculum. And I think that's, that's where we have to go with it. Um, whether we'll get there, I don't know. I think the market is going to change all of that. Right. Um, so that was, I was just you know, reading something the other day and it said that probably in the next five years, about 60 to 75% of all healthcare, including speech language pathology, OT, PT will be done through telehealth, telepractice mm -hmm. models. And so, in, and that's in five years, in five years. So these students we're training right now, that's their career is going to be predominantly telepractice. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've got to wake up to this as faculty and, and say, 
this isn't a separate thing. I mean, it's it has to be totally integrated in everything that we're doing. And I think me not being in the academic setting, but um, as far as higher level education, but being in the private sector, something I think would be great too, is if there was a partnership between the two, because there's so many, there's so many telepractice companies. And I know that Mm-hmm. Um, a couple years ago, we had an email that went out that said, oh, we might have some graduate students for you to supervise at some point within your contracting. And I was so excited. And then it just, they ran into too many roadblocks of, you know, like, would ASHA accept that if they were supervised mm-hmm. only online? And would, could you do it across mm-hmm. state lines? And all of these things that came up as a roadblock. But there are so many of us that are out there doing this part-time or full-time that it's what we're doing already. And I personally would love to have a grad student come and join me in something that I'm already doing and that they could just jump in mm-hmm. and do and not have to develop their own program with it too. So that's something that I would love to see the private sector get on board with that and see it as, oh, we are training our future workforce. If we give these students access to this platform or this program. Do you know what, Kim, what was so rewarding uh, during the, the lockdown and just, you know, when everything sort of blew up, Mary Beth and I heard from a number of our former students who had gone through our telepractice program they were the leaders in the private sector. Mm-hmm. People yes. turned to them and said, oh my gosh, you know how to do yep. this. Please yep. Yep. train yep. our people, set this up. And they did. Yep. And that's kind of, that's why this podcast exists in the first place. Cause me and Todd were tired yep. of answering all the emails and the phone calls <laughs> yeah. and everything. We knew that everyone right. needed this information. It's true. It's true. Folks are, you know, they're like, oh, I'll just get online. I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> I'd rather yep. you didn't. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it, they make it, you know, they're like, oh, it's so easy. No, it's not as easy as it looks, right. team. Really. Right. But it's also not as, not as hard. It's not as hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you well, need training. Not- yep. Or, or I was going to say, I was going to say, or is, is intimidating either. I think right. you, I just hit it, you know, training. And I'll tell you, so we have a, as part of our practicum, uh, we have a, a weekly seminar with our students to talk about cases and technology and so on. And so today, you know, our students have hit the ground running. And let me tell you, Mary Beth and I have kept them very busy. So the way our program, the pedagogy and the way it's designed, it's it's experiential learning. So we've got a variety of, of remote sites. So they're mm-hmm. flipping between, you know, public school or a group home or a person's home. I mean, we're going all over the place. And then we've got a, an age range of different clients and then a whole bunch of different disorders. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of looked at Mary Beth and I today and they went, wow. <laughs> we didn't realize that we were going to be flipping hats and then doing it. What Literally, when they're transitioning from one session to the next, because they're back to back, they said, Mm -hmm. we didn't realize we'd be in a public school one minute and then somebody's home the next, like we didn't realize. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, and we said to them, Mary Beth and I said to them, you, when you leave here at the end of the semester, you will absolutely be able to hit that ground running. Yeah. Gosh, I get panicked now when I have to see like a kindergartner and then a 12th grader. <laughs> <laughs> I did that today. <laughs> oh, and then it's a 12th grader with a device or something yeah. too. So you're like, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and can I get that screen to share nicely? Yep. We're still, that's our little uh, roadblock at the moment is getting the computers to talk to each other, but we'll get there. Right. Right. Well, I think it's time, Judy, Mary Beth, for the most important aspect of our podcast. This is the part I didn't tell you about. It never tells anyone about this part. This is no, a little scary. Is this when you're going to you're going to fund our trip to Fiji? No. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it's not as expensive as you think. <laughs> so see, see, you guys are are wise, like I am, meaning you're older. <laughs> like I am. So you've probably have you ever seen the the show Inside the Actor Studio? Yes. See, it, the first person ever that we've had on the podcast who's actually watched. So at the end of Inside the Actor Studio, James Lipton would ask the questions, right? The Proust mm-hmm. questions. So we have a set of questions that we'll ask both of you. Okay? And sure. so you can you can answer as any way you want you can answer with one word or you can answer you could elaborate in whatever you want to do okay and and mary beth since you know what it's all about i'll let you go first so the first question to both of you is what's the most used app on your phone most used app on my phone Mm -hmm. the weather app Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, and you, and you laugh, but I have like seven settings. I want to know what it's like at my school in Western Maine. I want to know what it's like in Fiji. Fiji. And, yeah. Well, that's oh, true. Know, that's storm. true. Monsoon season. What's going on? That's that, right. That's how yeah. I know if we're gonna have a snow day because I'm in Idaho with my kids, and I See? it's not always yeah. the same. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> See? The weather app. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weather app for you. So, Judy, what's your most used app? Ditto. Weather. Well, we live on the coast in yeah. Maine. Well, we in Maine, I was going to say it's you guys are going to you're yeah. at risk for for bad weather. Let's just put it that yes. way. Yeah, we um, summer in Maine, which is lovely, but we also winter. <laughs> true. True. Um, Mary Beth, so what was the last TV series you streamed? Last one we streamed. Oh, Virgin River. Ooh, my wife likes that show. My son just got my son. My older son is a Coast Guardsman, and he just got stationed in Humboldt Bay, California. So it's ah. right there. You know, they're always going to Eureka. Like, oh, that's right. I gotta check this out. Do you know the main the main guy is Australian? No way. Uh, just like um, on House when Hugh Laurie is not an mm-hmm. American. Oh, bummer. Oh, yeah. okay. He's Australian. And he's an Aussie. Hmm. So, Judy, what, what's the last series you streamed? Anne with an E. Like Anne with an E. I like oh, that yeah. one. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, a favorite book, Mary Beth. Favorite book. Hmm. I've been a huge fan of the Outlander series, the book, not the shows as much. I like the mm-hmm. book, it, you know. Good. Nice, nice escape kind of yeah. reading. Yeah, you got to keep Good. up and you have, you know, these images of people and following all. the Right. Beauty? 
Uh, current favorite is braiding sweetgrass. Hmm. I'm not familiar with that one. What's what's it about? It is a book that's written by a woman who is uh, a botanist and also Native American. So she's uh, got a PhD in botany and she's also a Native American. And the whole book kind of spins a story about our natural world, both from a scientific viewpoint and then from a natural, the natural world from a Native American viewpoint. And it's pretty, pretty beautiful. Oh, great. Great. Great recommendation then. Excellent. Um, what's your favorite genre of music, Mary Beth? <laughs> mm. you, you look more like a punk kind of person. No, well, no you, I'm more the, of no. a uh, classic rock, you know, you kind of classic exactly. Rock. It used to rock. be just rock, right? Rock and roll. And now suddenly it's classic mm. rock. Classic, <laughs> well, you know. I'm an '80s girl, so a little bubblegum. <laughs> okay, little Cindy Lauper, little. You know, I, I've seen Sticks in concert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you Mr. go, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> little hair bands, yep. yeah. Some some hair bands, some yeah. And Pat Benatar, I've seen her in concert too. So oh, I'm a, I like Pat Benatar. Yep. Yeah. So, what we have come to realize is classic rock means different things to different people. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. For me, classic rock is probably 60s, 70s. Well, yeah. Music. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, no, However, probably... we've had we've had people who say classic rock is the 2000s because <laughs> they're young. They're anyway. young. Oh. Ouch. That one, that one hurts me, so, too. <laughs> it does hurt us. <laughs> Judy, what's your favorite genre of music? But, well, classic rock. Still the same. Okay. But it would good, be, good. but I'm, t- but we're talking, um, you know, Rolling the Stones, Stones, the Beatles, the Stones, Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Led yep. Zeppelin, we're, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Little I've Zeppelin. been to a Rush concert. That's, you know. Ooh. I know. Cool. Crosby, Stills, you know. I've seen them in in concert. Me too. I saw, I saw them. I saw Crosby, Stills, and Nash was there. Yes, and uh, it was in an auditorium in Columbia, South Carolina, in the summer. Oof! And the air conditioned in this old place. It was an older auditorium. Went out like a half hour before, you know, three thousand people came in. So it's the concert started off well, but then someone yelled something, I don't know, and it really upset David Crosby. So he, he left the stage, didn't come back for like an hour. <laughs> well then. Wow. So we had Nash and as they say, we had we didn't have Crosby, we have Steels and Nash up there uh doing the best they could to keep things going. <laughs> And finally, David, I guess, calmed down and they brought him back out and he joined and they finished the concert anyway. Um, Explain why they're not talking to him right now. Well, everyone was dying of a heat stroke. He was probably getting sweaty. Um, (laughs) Next question. Um, Who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? It's a toss up. Arm Uh wrestle. Okay. Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Michelle Uh Obama. One of the two. 
Or both. Both, both would or be both. amazing. Both would be <laughs> that amazing. That would be yeah. interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting dinner conversation. That would hmm. be a great. That's a great one. I don't know. It's okay. Okay. But well, you can question. you can pass. That's okay. all right. So here's another here's another deep one for you. If you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to follow or do, what would it be? Well, at home, it'd be like if everyone picked up their dirty socks, but that's, a whole... <laughs> that's all I ask. Um, the hamper and then the, you know, where they land. I'm like. <laughs> so, so Mary Beth, you're not going to end racism or, or. Hey, the world, world peace. would be a better place if everyone picked up their socks. <laughs> you're you're going to focus on picking up your socks. I guess, you know, if everybody was a little bit more personally responsible, right? I guess. Okay, you know, okay. Uh, that's good. Everybody... That I like yeah, that. How's that? Be personally responsible. Right. I think that's good. Judy? I can't. I don't think I can top that, Todd. Socks? Come on. Socks? Pick up your socks. Pick up your dirty socks, you know. Okay. <laughs> Sounds yeah. fine. Um, what's, let's see, let's see, what's the most exotic or the farthest place you've ever been? And you can't say Fiji. I haven't been there yet. They're working on it. <laughs> the most exotic, the far away from Maine or far away farthest. from? Yeah, from, from just anywhere. I mean, just farthest place you've traveled or the most exotic place you, you've traveled to. Well, yours is probably better than, I mean, gosh, the farthest we've ever been is is the UK and mm-hmm. Wales went for, yeah. our 30th, for our 30th wedding anniversary. That's nice. It was. Um, I don't know if it's exotic, but yeah, that was, I got a stamp on my passport. Cool. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, you know, French can't, we, you know, we do Quebec City is my, one of my favorite places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And, yeah. Um, probably the furthest was we lived in New Zealand. Um, so that would be the furthest, but the most exotic by far was uh when uh I gave a presentation in Cairo. Oh nice. uh, that was that was a pretty exotic place to go. Oh yeah. I've never been to Egypt, so I would love love to go do that and spend a week just kind of seeing all the sites. Um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way you'd like. Uh, well, move to Maine, actually. <laughs> um, no, I kid you not. It was one of those where my, you know, my hubby had just been re-engineered out of his position. Mm-hmm. And I had three part-time jobs at the time in Mich- in Upper Michigan, we were. And I answered an ad blind for the most part, um, you know, way back when in the Advance magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it sounded like a nice job. So I, you know, faxed, faxed my resume. Yeah. And got a phone call and, and kind of took that old leap of, well, here we go. And, you know, didn't know where we were going to live when we got here. And, uh, you know packed up everything and hauled across Canada and took the cat and, you know, had a kindergartner and a little guy who is just out of diapers and, you know, fingers crossed, this is all going to turn out. We won't get divorced and we'll, you know, everybody will be happy. (laughs) Everyone be happy. 
Right, right. So, um, so far, so good. 25 years later, here we are. Sometimes you just have to take a chance, right? I did, you know, and the hubby landed in his dream job because I'm like, he, you know, hadn't mm-hmm. even started job. You know how it is when you're, you're, it's a couple and you're like, okay, we have these two jobs and we both need to work. And mm-hmm. so what happens next? This is why it's yeah. good that I work in teletherapy because when my husband who has ADHD <laughs> decides to change again, I have a job. <laughs> I don't have to worry you about can. it. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's just it. It's like, you know, we knew... We, that's why we've been in so many states already, because, you know, as a broadcaster, you always have to go to the next biggest market right. or, or whatever, right? Because it's just a, a sense of moving up. Right. And as a speech pathologist, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can get a job anywhere. Right. I have something. You know, I've worked mm-hmm. in adult, with adults and worked with kids and, you know, I do swallowing and all that good stuff. And so I wasn't worried, but I was going first. It was my job that brought us here, yeah. not not his. And what was not he going to do? Yeah. Right. So, but he's, he's landed fine. He's, yeah, he's been Good. doing well. He's been at his job for 20 years. He's in, you know, public broadcasting now. So. That's great. That's great. We like Big Bird. <laughs> Big Bird is good. Judy, how about you? Scariest well, thing you've ever done? Well, I would say, again, it's a toss-up. Um, mm-hmm. I would say a toss-up between hot air ballooning and Whitewater rafting on a Category 5 river in Ooh. Canada, which was pretty wow. scary, actually. Our number one answer from previous guests is having children. <laughs> Scariest thing they've ever done. Oh! <laughs> no, that was the most wonderful thing I've ever done. <laughs> I'm the it's both, so right? It's like the like, scariest thing. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's both. It's Probably the most wonderful thing that can happen to you, but also the most terrifying thing that happened to you. I think the most terrifying is like sending them off to the next stop, you know, dropping yes. them off. Boot camp was off. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, when they leave the nest, that's the scary part. No, I'm yeah. just dealing with, we sent them to a new school this year that they hadn't been at before. That was scary enough. <laughs> exactly. You know, watching the bus leave. Right. <laughs> Right. Cool. So uh, next question, what is a pet peeve of yours? (laughs) Dirty sacks. (laughs) (laughs) It is true. That they just. Dirty socks. Those damn socks. (laughs) Or. Yeah, probably. What did you say? Dirty, dirty socks. socks. Oh, you did say dirty socks. I'm going to say dirty socks, but uh, yeah, it's true. My husband laughed. He's like, you live for laundry, don't you? So it's, it's, it's okay. I can, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, otherwise, what is my, I think um, folks who don't, uh, well, folks who don't put their lights on when it's raining and they're driving. Ooh. That one bothers me a lot. That's bad. And that probably comes up a lot where you live. It is the Mm -hmm. law, but you would think. Still don't do it. Mm -hmm. Judy, what's a pet peeve of yours? I think a pet peeve of mine really is when people are disrespectful. Sure. I I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that. Right. I totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, Next question is if you didn't choose your current profession, what profession would you like to try? I think, I think I'd like to own a yarn shop. Ooh. 
<laughs> my wife would love that too. I'm a knitter. I admit it. And, and, you know, I'm very tactile. I'd so, you know, I'm like, yeah, I send me out working with sensory kids. I'm, we're in it together. My sister-in-law that lives with us is a big knitter. And I went in one day and she was teaching my girls how to do it. And my seven-year-old went, mom, we're yarning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's, nice. that's, great. that's what it will be in my head at now for now, from now on, that's it's so not knitting. Good. It's we're yarning. Judy, what would you do if you didn't and do? What I, what I would do, uh, my plan B would, I probably would have been a wildlife biologist. Oh. And I would have loved, nice. loved to have studied mammals, uh, bears or wolves. Um, yeah, I would love that. Awesome. Really cool. Okay, last question. And this is probably the only original Proust question in the list. Mm-hmm. If heaven exists... What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> you can come oh. in, Mary Beth, but leave the dirty socks at home. <laughs> um, no, well, but I, we were just laughing because one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, the life skills teacher and I, uh, she was doing something, or she had, I know, she had taken one of our students to get new glasses, and I had texted her to say, you know, Miss Tina. Um, there's a special place in heaven for ladies like you. She's like, yeah, they call it the timeout room. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'll see you there. <laughs> oh, that's great. So you, yeah, can, you, like, can, you can come in, but you have to go to the timeout room. Yeah. Yeah. At least I'm in my, I used to have an uncle yep. who said, well, it doesn't matter. I have friends in both places. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's a good one. I like that. I thought it was a good theory. Good philosophy of life. Yeah. Yeah. Judy? I don't, I believe it would be something like, um, believe it or not, you made it in. I don't know. Something <laughs> along those lines. <laughs> Surprise! Against, against all reason. <laughs> right, right. You've made right. it in. <laughs> right. No. It's your life. I do have a response going all the way back to the dirty sock question. Uh oh. Yeah. About the law of the land. No, if I was to make a law of the land, yes. it would be be kind to others. That would sure. be my law. There you go. Be kind. I think that's yeah. if we can just do that, it's related to the be respectful too. You know, just be and kind. It's right up there with, you know, being kind to others should be putting your dirty socks. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna send you some dirty socks in the mail. Just, oh, cool! Handed it or or just you know, and and not matching either. That that yeah, it's not gonna not. match. Yep. The kids don't even match them anymore. What's it doesn't matter. Oh, well, that's that's true. That's true. My my son's 22 and he doesn't usually match his socks. He just grabs two that are usually clean, not always, mm. uh, and he's out the door. So, Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, and we really, really appreciate it. And we wish you guys the best of luck in everything that you're doing at the University of Maine, and certainly hope everything continues to just blossom there and grow and and keep training those students like we all know that 
that should be happening everywhere. So you guys keep uh, keep the fire burning and uh, and keep influencing. You certainly influence me and influence people all over the country in terms of the need for telepractice training and training of our grad students. So thank you. Well, thank you for inviting us. Thank you. I always enjoy talking with other members of a faculty like Judy and Mary Beth. They're doing some wonderful work there at the University of Maine and training our next generation of speech-language pathologists to actually use telepractice service delivery models, much like what we're doing here at the University of Akron. And so it's very few of us out there in terms of being associated with universities that have embraced telepractice. And I firmly believe that it's going to be more and more of the service delivery model that we'll be using going forward, even once we get beyond COVID. Telepractice will still be there, and we'll have families and and patients who will request it, and we need to be prepared for that. So thank you again, Judy, Mary Beth, for joining us. Keep up the great work. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. If you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new subscribers and to reach more people, which is what we want to do. And if you have a, an idea for a webinar or a course, or maybe you want to host your own podcast, why don't you reach out to me at todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and we can chat about that. I'll be happy to talk with you and see what we can do. And so with that, we'll be back again next week with another episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.